coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. All right, 6.07 here on WRSU. Chris Akonis, Jack Basea, Dennis Geisler here with you on 88.7 FM. The Monday crew is back for the spring semester. So much to get to. Um, you know, Rutgers men's basketball starting to show some signs of life. 4-2 and two in the Big Ten, heading into a big Wednesday night game at home against Iowa. Um, really a critical stretch coming up over the next two weeks for them if they want to try and fight their way back into the NCAA tournament conversation. Um, you know, NFL playoffs in full swing. We'll get into that a little bit later on as well. Um, and, you know, just tons of sports, you know. I mean, I think we're I think we're ready to rock and roll. This is our first crew show of the spring semester. Took a little break for winter break. Um, you know, our guys work hard here, so I wanted to give them a little R&R, but we're back, ready to rock and roll. Jack Basea, Dennis Geisler, what's going on, my guys? What's up, Chris? It's been it's been an enjoyable break. We were talking about it off air just before. Um, I had a brutal last twenty four hours. I have to I have to admit, but um, outside of that, it's been it's been a very very uh, relaxing break. Been trying to keep a little bit busy so this start of the semester doesn't hit me like a brick. But um, yeah, it's been good. Rutgers has won five out of six in men's basketball. It's been a pretty nice ride considering how this season started. Chris, um, you didn't mention it, but we have NJ Advanced Media's Brian Fonseca coming on in about 20 or so minutes, so stay tuned for that. He has a lot of good insight into how this team is performing and what we should expect moving on later into this season. And like Chris said, Wednesday, January 19th on Wednesday night, Rutgers plays Iowa at 8.30 on PTN. Should be a fun one. It's another one that another game that Rutgers could use to climb up the net rankings, climb in, back into NCAA tournament play. But uh, yeah, Dennis, Dennis, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. I'm getting real uh, to not not to not to tear behind the curtain too much, but uh, I am not in studio right now. I'm going back to our 2020 uh, or our 2021, excuse me, format of me being live from FedEx Field. Um, but I'm super excited to be on. I love the crew. I'm so excited to be back. (laughs) Don't you mean soldier field? You being a Bears Um, fan? I I'm a Bears fan. I'm just live from FedEx field. That's just where I live. I know no, no MVP for you guys this year, but, um, maybe, (laughs) maybe Justin Fields will get there. Um, but yeah, I mean, next two weeks, this is kind of how things are going to be. I mean, uh, Dylan McCoy is going to be in here starting next week. He decided to um, spend the remainder of his winter break in Cancun. So I, I respect the hustle. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably best if we don't try to call him because I don't know what he may say on the radio while he's in Cancun. So we're just going to give him going to give him the week off. A um, couple other of uh, your favorite WRSU sports personalities. Also, regrettably, not in New Brunswick for the next two weeks, but we'll try to make it work the best we can. Um, and then, you know, should be, you know, ready to rock and roll and, you know, be fully back in person in two weeks. So work with the talent that we have in studio right now, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's just the best we can do. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, Jack, where do you want to begin? Because we've got a lot we could break down here, a bunch of different angles I'll, we can start off with. I, I where, where do you want to start with this? I'll tell you where I don't want to start. Uh, you don't even have to say because I think I think I know. I think Dennis knows. I think the, I think the listeners know. I think the, the entire world listen. knows. I can't even go on my phone right now without 
being reminded of what happened yesterday. But let's start with Rutgers men's basketball. We mentioned it before. We're going to be talking about it for a couple of couple or I would say about like 40 or so minutes to about an hour when Brian Fonseca comes on but uh they've they've really turned it around just to do a summary of the season since we haven't been on for so long I mean they started off with three wins it was three ugly wins should I say against Lehigh Merrimack and NJIT those were three games where they did not shoot the ball particularly well Lehigh the game went to overtime they were able to squeak that one out Merrimack they scored 48 points and won and NJIT, they had Dylan O'Hearn looking like he was Jaden Ivey out there or Carson Edwards when he basically lit up the Scarlet Knights, but Rutgers was able to pull out that one as well. They followed that up with DePaul, Lafayette, and UMass, three of probably the worst stretch I've ever seen from Rutgers in my time here uh, rooting for them. And my time here has been basically consisted of them being you know, an NCAA tournament caliber team. 2019-2020 was my freshman year and uh you know they won the they were going to the NCAA tournament in 2020 they made it last year and now this year they had a really really rough stretch they lost all those games by one possession DePaul turned into Golden State down the stretch Lafayette I mean you'll never hear the end of that from Big Ten fans about how we lost that game but that was the last second shot that a kid made I don't know I don't think we'll be hearing about it from Maryland fans for a nah. while Probably not, but they they everyone likes to bring that up. But that was a lot. That was a last second shot that uh, beat us there. But at the end of the day, that shouldn't have come to a last second shot. And then UMass last second shot, we scored our second most points of the year up to that uh, so far this year in that game, eighty three points. We only eclipsed it against Nebraska, and we lost that game on a last second shot. So we really set ourselves behind the eight ball and the theme of the season has really just been catching up uh and you know repealing or how should i say this catching up to our mistakes and making good on our mistakes from that three game stretch digging out of a manhole digging out of yeah digging out of a manhole exactly i think that's the best analogy i could give so after that ungodly terrible stretch we beat clemson in the acc big 10 challenge we didn't even show up. I don't think we went to Champaign, Illinois and played basketball there. I think like my brother's Freehold Borough basketball team went out there and played against Illinois because the score indicates it. We lost by 35 points. And at that point, it really looked like that the season was hanging on a knife's edge. And that's when Thursday, December 9th, 2021 happened. When number one Purdue came and you know the entire story. Um, then we went to Seton Hall and lost that game season still hanging on knife edge and since then since our COVID pause that happened at the end of December going into the end going into the new year we've won five of six and really have given the season some hope and that's where our that's where we have kind of cut off from crew for winter break this five of five wins and six games stretch and that's what I want to focus on here in the first part of crew Chris, what have you, Chris and Dennis, what have you seen so far from Rutgers since that Seton Hall game at the end of the semester, winning five of six, really gaining some confidence back? What have you seen that has encouraged you so far? Uh, I've seen Geo Baker. He's been playing. That has certainly helped a lot. I mean, of course, sometimes his numbers have not been the greatest against Maryland. He didn't play all that well for most of the game, uh, was mostly a facilitator at the end, but, um, Regardless, it has definitely been a huge step up having such a veteran presence back on the team. 
I, I was going to say, I mean, having Geo back is huge, obviously. And, you know, for what it's worth, I think he's playing some of the best basketball I, I've seen him play in the last two years. I think, you know, having to deal with, you know, some nagging injuries the past couple seasons has, even when he's back and playing, I think it was hampering what he could do on the floor, especially offensively. But I think that in a weird way, the COVID pause ended up being the best thing that could have happened for him because it allowed him to fully rest up, you know, sort of recharge his batteries, get healthy. And you saw starting with that, you know, I mean, obviously the first two games against, um, uh, which one call it, uh, Maine and uh, Central Connecticut State. Um, obviously, you know, they, they were in a groove there. But, you know, with starting with Michigan and then just going through, just looking like a different player. They did have one not great loss on the road at Penn State, but – um, generally they've won the games they've needed to win. And I think that having him back healthy is huge. But I don't think he's the biggest reason. I don't think he's the biggest difference, I should say, between the team we saw in the beginning of the season and the team we saw now. The biggest difference is Ron Harper Jr. 100%. By yeah. far. Because the big question mark for him going into this season was we I mean we know what he's capable of when he's on his game he's an NBA caliber prospect by far yeah and when it was just a question of you know can he do it consistently can he do it um you know night in and night out the way Rutgers needed him to be their go-to score on any given night and, you know, it's still a lot of basketball left to be played. Hopefully he keeps it going. But he's looked the part in the month of January. Well, Chris, the only reason that we are – we still have a season, we still have a lot of basketball to play for is because of number 24. He's – I don't know if I want to say this, but I saw a tweet that said it where it's like Ron Harper Jr. is putting the entire program on his back. And I hate to say that because there's so many other contributors on this team – that I know from watching them, but you know, it offensively, he, I would agree. He, offensively, offensively, definitely, he has a point for that. But you know, you look at you look at the Maryland game. This this is a team that you know is best when Ron Harper Jr. is playing at his best, but also has key contributors step up in order to uh, get to win. And look at look at uh Paul Mulcahy in that game. He was able to pull out a huge win or pull out a huge second half performance after having a really bad first half, but um. He was he played big. I mean, Geo Geo might not be might not might have not been scoring in that game, but he was do, doing an incredible job assisting the basketball. I think one thing that I've learned so far this year from watching Geo is that he's a very underrated playmaker. I didn't I I think I'm appreciating it more this year his playmaking because it's been maybe with Jacob Young gone, but he's been he's been very impressive as a playmaker and against Maryland he had seven assists that was a team high that was also a game high as well and we needed every single one of those to claw out of that first uh first half deficit but um yeah just just to put a lid on that I guess I Ron Harper Jr. is clearly the number one option on offense I've been saying this throughout the season and I've been saying this pretty much since uh my freshman year I really just thought that Ron Harper Jr. was you know, the catalyst on offense. He's the guy that's going to be the difference between Rutgers making the NCAA tournament at the end of the day and ultimately not making the NCAA tournament. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a long ride, but if Ron Harper Jr. can keep up this insane level of play in big in big 10 play, he's averaging like 20 points per game so far in big 10 play. I mean, that's insane. If he can keep up this level of play, the Rutgers men's basketball team could, 
have a fighter's chance to get back into this thing. Jack, do you have the numbers in front of you in terms of what he's been shooting from behind the arc in the month of January? Do you have those splits or no? Mm. I don't have I mean, the two seconds. I don't, I don't have, have splits. But All right, I there's tell, Dennis, our stats guy, uh, getting on it. I could tell you. I could tell you what he's like. The numbers he's been shooting game by game right now. I could tell you that. Okay. Um, let me just get to that real quick, Dennis. Maybe you can get a percentage for that. Um, that'd be great. <sighs> it's not giving me the numbers in front of me right now. So it's three pretty point impressive. Three and point percentage. some of it is kind of uh, streaky because. Uh, against Central Connecticut State, he only shot one for seven, or excuse me, only shot uh, zero for three from three. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a very streaky, but, streaky shooter. I agree, Dennis. Yeah, and that and that can be one of the big issues for Rutgers is that if Ron Harper Jr. is not doing well, there is not a lot of offense besides that, and so a lot of games it requires an incredible Ron Harper Jr. performance to get past the 50 mark. Yeah, I, I could see that. But, you know, as you were alluding to, Dennis, he's shot 0 for 3 against Central Connecticut State, 5 for 6 from 3 against Michigan. I mean, it, <laughs> I, that's, that's insane from someone that watches a lot of basketball. 5 for 6 from 3 is insane. Three for six, three for six against Nebraska. That's fifty percent from three. He also hit ten of ten free throws in that game, by the way, and then two for four from three against Penn State, and probably what was his worst game of January. And then last uh, last Saturday against Maryland, thirty one points, ten for sixteen overall from the field, six for eight from three, five for six from the free throw line. I mean, you're not going to get a better Ron Harper Jr. performance from on offense than you got against Maryland. I do have the numbers now. It is uh, 59% from three for the God. month of January. That's that's like – I can't even – that's like white hot from three. That's white if you, hot. And, and if you cut hot. out the Central Connecticut State game, if you only count the four Big Ten games, it's 67%. Like if you went to, if you went to the – if you went to like the Big Ten um, leaders in scoring and stats, I guarantee you you would see that like – the leading leading players probably shoot like about in the 60s from three point range or not three point range. Sorry, overall like overall field goal percentage and Ron Harper Jr. shooting 59 percent from three. I mean that's that's insanity. I'm, I'm trying to pull up the uh, the field goal percentage right now. No, I don't know if they're gonna let me have it, but um, yeah, here we go. So Zach Eady is absolutely killing it and shooting 71 percent from the field. That's insane. Travion Williams follows him shooting 61%. And then it's a lot of people who are shooting 60, 60, 60, 59, 59, 51. I mean, he's he's on an incredible streak right now from three. And I mean, yeah, you've got to remember that a lot of these guys are like bigs. Yeah, that's <laughs> Ron my Harper point. Jr. And that's, I think, one that's of the big point. differences is that Ron Harper Jr. is playing like a guard um, and not like the end of last season and honestly the beginning of this season where they were playing him like a forward because he's got some of the size and some of the skills to be a forward, but why would you want him to do that when he shoots so well from three? <laughs> well, you hear it on the uh, you hear it on the broadcast all the time that he's a matchup nightmare. I mean, that's all the broadcasters talk about and it honestly makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's a guy, he's six six, I wanna say like two forty he's listed at, so he's you know, a bigger guy. He's got a forward's body, but he's got guard skills and is able to shoot the three, take guys off the dribble. I honestly thought out of all these incredible performances that 
he's had over the month of January, his Nebraska one was his best one. And I think his Nebraska performance was the best one I've probably seen this season. And that includes Purdue. And here's why. He played such an efficient game that game. He wasn't forcing threes. He wasn't lighting it up from three. He was getting to his spots. He was, you know, dishing the ball to Geo Baker, uh, Dean Reber, whoever you want to, whoever you want to. He was playing a very efficient game. And that's what I really like to see from Ron. I like to see that he was taking the game as it as it came to him. He was able to uh, make the smart play, maybe not the heroic, maybe not the heroic play. And I really think that's the type of Ron we need moving forward, especially as we get into the month of February. Because, you know, we'll talk about it with Brian in a couple minutes, but the month of February is among the most brutal brutal schedules I think you will ever see in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Rutgers right now is that, I mean, they've had some big wins in the Big Ten, but, I mean, as as the RU Screw podcast loves to say, uh, it's must-can't-lose territory right now. You, you, can't, you can't be dropping games against even Penn State, losing against Penn State. That's going to be hard to get over that and still have a NCAA tournament resume at the end of the regular season, especially considering that, um, all, all those losses out of conference at the start of the season, it really put the team behind the eight ball. There is a lot that this team is going to have to do to try to build back to that point. And a lot of it is going to be winning basically every game at home and taking down a lot of the lower teams in the Big Ten on the road. And both of those tasks have looked very difficult so far for this team. Yeah, you kind of you bring up a good uh, good point about winning every game at home. They will absolutely have to do that, especially against teams like I don't know in or Penn State at the last game of the year. Iowa is a what's I don't know if it's a must win game because it's a whole. I think it's I, you think I it's think a must win game because Iowa's a pretty talented team. They're a pretty high net. I'm pretty sure. The, the problem is like Iowa's a talented team, but you look at the rest of the Big Ten slate and there's a ton of talented teams. Like very if you lose to every talented team, you end up like nine and eleven, ten and ten, and the Lafayette loss at the beginning of the season sinks you. That that's uh. That's definitely a great point, Dennis. But, um, yeah, it's – I wouldn't say it's tough sledding, but Rutgers definitely in this month of January needs to take control of these opportunities because, as I alluded to before, listen to the stretch, Chris and Dennis. Home versus number 14, Michigan State. Home versus nine, number 19, Ohio State. At number 8, Wisconsin. And we've seen a lot how good Wisconsin is this year. Home versus number 17, Illinois. At Mackey Arena, number four, Purdue, and I, Purdue is going to be ready. For, <laughs> Purdue is going to be ready for that game. They they should mm-hmm. they should be ready for that game. So that's that's five top twenty teams as we stand here today. Top twenty teams in a row, and then topple that with a trip to Michigan, and that's always tough. And then mm-hmm. home again versus number eight Wisconsin. That's a top ten team coming to your building. I mean, that's February for you, buddy, and. With that type of schedule and the losses that you accumulated at the start of the season, this January stretch where you play Iowa on Wednesday, at Minnesota on Saturday, again versus Maryland at home next week, and then at Nebraska, at Northwestern, this is it only proves your point, Dennis. This is must-cannot-lose territory. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's just you've got to get, you know, the, the rule of thumb is minimum four games above five hundred. Um, that leaves you with about 12 and eight 
in Big Ten play as your final record. We're at four and two right now. So that means they got to go eight and six over the last 14 games. So you basically have to win almost every home game. Maybe you could drop once like a really good team. But you've also got to steal games on the road. That's the one question mark here, in my opinion. I think Rutgers can win a good amount of games at home. I don't know if they can do it on the road. Well, that's been the case with Steve Peichel, I feel like, his entire tenure. And don't get me wrong, Matt. It's it's tough to win on the road, especially in the Big Ten. But if you want to be an NCAA tournament team, you have at the same time, you have to win these games. I mean, Penn State's already over. I don't want to dwell on it too much. But that was a game that we really could have used to bolster our NCAA tournament resume. And Penn State, I mean, they had a good game plan against us. But they're not, uh, they're not Wisconsin. They're not Purdue. They're not on that level. Like that was a game that, you know, it could have, it could have gone. We we could have very realistically won that game. And by the way, Chris, I feel like I can't produce any men's basketball games anymore because every time I produce, they just lay an egg. <laughs> <laughs> like I I I produced the Seton Hall game. We know how that went. And then I was here in studio for the Penn State game, and we saw how that one went. I, I mean, should call more games. I called the first road win of the season. All right. Well, I mean, if you want to rub it in, you know. I, I will. I will rub it in. Oh, <laughs> uh, was it Just as stop quiet? Stop putting me on postseason calls and was, we're good. Was the atmosphere as quiet and desolate as I looked? don't think it was that bad. So here's the issue. Um, I was I was at the University of Maryland uh, this past weekend, not that far a drive from FedEx Field, um, calling the game with Jake Schmid. Uh it wasn't that bad. The issue is that there weren't many students there. Um, and students are the ones who are always going to be the loudest. And I don't think students were back at Maryland yet. I don't know this for sure. I'm just making an educated guess based on the fact that the student sections were basically empty. But most of the rest of the arena was pretty full, which for an 18,000 person uh, arena like the Xfinity Center is pretty impressive. It's just that like, not to typecast the other people in the crowd too much, but a lot of the rest of the arena is filled up with older people and they are not going to get as excited. They're not going to get as loud for every play. So it kind of made it seem like there were like two people in the Xfinity Center when realistically there could have been many thousands. Yeah, I mean, That's it, just looked, my read on what it, that it was, basically though. looked like the Bryce Jordan Center over there, but uh, just 